So what are you eating tonight, Mark? Um, it's a little bit of southern fried uh, chicken and chips. Nice and simple. Nice and hard attack. Right. And you make that yourself? Well, in the sense that I put it in the oven, yes. <laughs> so it's not really southern fried if it's put in the oven, is it? Uh, well, what? <laughs> what? Of course it is. It, well, it, perhaps it's not fried, but it's probably southern. Probably not even chicken, to be honest. Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 12th of March 2014. And uh, as they say, life begins today for me. It's my 40th birthday, 12th of March. Happy birthday, Phil. Man, you look so birthday, young. Sir. I know. Yeah, you don't look a day over 50. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Here we go. Uh, so joining me for this special Phil's birthday edition are assistant editor Steve Withers. Dr. Evil, we still have the, the ultimate insurance policy. May I present to you the very sexual, the very tight Austin Powers, Faja. <laughs> I didn't know we were going method with this. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, movies editor, Simon Cross. I open mouth kissed a horse once. Games editor, Mark Botwright. Mole. And audio reviewer, Ed Selly. What? I didn't have any corn. <laughs> <laughs> they're meant to be in a Scottish accent that one <laughs> I'm not even going to try especially with an actual Scotsman on the other end of the uh, I, I, sorry I just had those go- I want to watch the movie again now That's, I haven't <laughs> seen it in such a long time and it's uh, such a funny film right people didn't guess that it was Goldmember uh, Austin Powers right so um we're going to kick off this week with uh, a little trip that me and Steve made on Friday past. We're recording this on Monday to be out on Wednesday, and that was to Belgium, at Flanders, and well, you're making you're building up like we we're going to go there to, to commemorate World War One or something. We're going to yeah. Belgium, it's In Flanders. Flanders fields, yeah. Nothing to do with World War. Well, actually, no, I take that back. <laughs> I take that back. Yeah, I take it, it back. Was a World War One connection, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah, I was going somewhere with that. So, uh, Galaxy <laughs> Studios and. We met the inventor of Oro 3D, which is a new audio format used in cinemas and uh, will be available and is available on uh, Blu-ray and music CDs. So the inventor is uh, Wilfred Van Balen. I hope I pronounced that correctly. We spent, actually spent a surprising amount of time with Wilfred because uh, the World War One connection is that there was a musical score being recorded in the main studio, uh, which commemorates or was certainly a story about it was called 1418, so about the First World War. Uh, but he spent about six hours with us, Steve, which, you know, for the CEO and the owner of the studio to spend that amount of time when it was full of press, full of musicians from the orchestra and so on, um, he really did spend the time with us. Yeah, I mean, I was genuinely quite surprised the amount of time he gave us. I mean, I assumed when we were invited over that we'd, that we'd get there, you know, we'd do some pickup shots, we'd get a guided tour of the facility, we'd get 10 minutes with Wilfred. And then that'll be it. But actually, he spent almost the entire day with us. And as you say, they were in the middle of recording the sound, this musical soundtrack. He had a big press launch at four o'clock in the afternoon. Obviously, he's a busy man. He's running the studio. He's inventing stuff. He was in the middle of a massive build going on as well, where they were expanding the whole facility. And yet, he still found the time to spend you know nearly six hours just with us, which was incredible. And, th- and thank you to him because it was a, a really, really interesting day. It was. And um, obviously, we can draw some comparisons because we've been to a, a number of studios. Are certainly 
personally, I've, I've been to Air Studios a number of times. I've been to Abbey Road a number of times. Have you, Ed? I have been to Abbey Road twice, yes. Um, although one occasion was to, uh, where they were doing refilmings of, uh, showings of films they did the soundtracks to. So actually, I just sat there and watched a slightly shonky copy of Aliens uh, <laughs> rather than actually did anything with the studio. But no, the other uh, the other time, I always, I always think that... Um, I don't know. I, I only briefly had time to look through um, some of the, the, the brief, some of the shots you you, you showed of um, studios. That looked a bit different to to Abbey Road for me. Uh, was it the yeah. same? Uh, like well, it? you know, Abbey Road Air Studios they have their history and they have their, you know, the whole Beatles connection and all that kind of. Both studios have Beatles connections and um, they have their whole history of you know the big bands that have recorded there over the years and. You know, tales of people dancing on mixing desks and all the rest. Of it. And and certainly when you go to those studios, you get that feeling of the history that's behind it all, and you know the number of famous composers and all the rest of it. The big difference with Galaxy Studios. Now I had a picture in my head about what Galaxy would be, and I imagined it would be a couple of dubbing theaters and a mixing theater, and they did some color correction stuff and so on. So I wasn't expecting a very big place. This place was enormous. It was huge. And the other thing is that it's so technically advanced when compared to the older studios. Um, so everything was up to date. It was all digital. They were still using analog stuff. So what they would do was feed the digital mics into the analog desk, feed the analog mics into the uh, digital, desk. digital desk, and then compare the two and then pick the best takes. And the studios were all, uh, it was all PMC and Genelec. I mean, Genelec everywhere for all the monitoring and stuff. And it was really advanced. The whole place was really super advanced technically, which kind of blew my mind a little bit. The other thing, Steve, was that each of these studios, um, they're basically concrete blocks, concrete rooms, sitting on concrete springs. bunkers, basically. Yeah. Sitting concrete on bunkers on springs. Yeah. yeah, sitting on springs for isolation. Isolation was measured at 2.7 hertz, and you could fill the room with more than 100 dB of sound, and you couldn't hear it. As soon as you yeah, went and every block had windows connecting it to the other block, so there was you could see through various things. But the windows were eleven centimeters thick and weighed a ton. Uh, oh. <laughs> I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, any way I can describe the place, I mean, like Phil, my, my expectations weren't high going there. I mean, I knew very little about it other than the fact that they developed Oro three D. But anyway, I can describe it is it's basically a European version of Skywalker Ranch. You know, it's got recording studios, it's got um, uh, dubbing stages, they're building Foley stages, they've got post-production facilities, they've got um, a digital intermediate facility there, haven't they, Phil, where they can scan in either 35mm or take the digital feed yeah. from a Red Epic camera or something like that. 8K, um, to 8K they, work, work in 4K and then print it yeah. back to film. Really yeah. impressive. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's got everything, and it, it really is. like you know, the, you, As you'd imagine Skywalker Ranch or maybe Peter, Peter Jackson facility down in Wellington, as you'd imagine them to be, that that's what it looks like. Um, you know, it's, it's got it's got all this in one place. So basically, they do. Uh, he told me that they do. They handle post production on fifty percent of the films made in B Belgium. That they um, produce ten up to ten movies of their own a year that he co finances, and um, they do work for other people too. They, they, they I think they did the post production work on the White Queen for the BBC. Uh, so you know, it's it's a proper, you know, recording in post production facility, and and um, he's building loads more at the moment. You said we finished in about six months. So uh, when it's finished, it's going to be uh, you know it's going to be a facility that will rival anywhere in the world. Unfortunately, in the video, I haven't got the uh, the new section at the building at the minute, but uh, the video will go out on Wednesday at the same time as this podcast. If you're interested in any way in home cinema and surround sound, it's 23 minutes long, but it's worth sitting down for 23 minutes if you've got any interest 
in that, in film production, in music production at all. And it's hosted by Wilfred. So usually we sit people down and we ask them questions and you get on the video, you get the answers to the questions. Um, What Wilfred wanted to do was actually show everybody around the facility as if you were there getting the tour. And that's the way that we've, we've filmed it. It's come together. I'm really quite pleased with the way it's come together. And like I say, yeah, if, you've got, very cool. if you've got any interest in surround sound and the future of sound, uh, it's definitely worth worth watching that, even though it's 23 minutes long. The other thing is, let's talk a little bit about OR3D. Now, we heard it uh, when they launched the LS10, the, the Datasat LS10, probably about four weeks ago now, Steve, maybe six weeks ago. Um, that was at the Genesis facilities. They had a Barco 4K projector set up in the demo room and they showed... Uh, some clips, same clips that we saw uh, at Galaxy Studios on Friday. And I came out of there and I was not impressed. Uh, when you came out of the Genesis demo? Uh, Genesis, Genesis demo. Yes. I was not impressed. And obviously we, we we discussed it on the other podcast. We did. When we had the same demo material in two different rooms, so the massive uh, mixing theatre. Now, this is huge theatre. If it was a commercial theatre, you would see uh, probably about 250, maybe 300 yeah, um, yeah, but it's, it, was, it was really impressive, wasn't it? But it's there for Final Mix. Uh, so it has the mixing desks there on hydraulics. So if they want to use it as a theatre, the mixing desks disappear into the floor and then they can put seats in and turn it into a theatre. Uh, or they have the mixing desks up and they can uh, mix everything there and then uh, in the big theatre. It's auto equipped. And then the little room, which is about the size of, uh, size of an average living room, Steve, yeah. Uh, set up with the same idea, so 5.1 with uh, with the height channels, and there was no voice of God on the second system. Got to say, it blew me away. Absolutely blew me away listening to it in those two systems. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I- I'm lucky enough now to have s- sat in Dolby's um, Atmos screening room that they've got at Wooden Bassett, and uh, I've sat in the Euro r- screening room that they've got over in Brussels, just outside Brussels. Um, and I can honestly say that uh, I thought that the demo they, they gave us on Friday w- was really, really good. I, I think superior in many respects to the one that Dolby did. And I can totally understand uh, a lot of the arguments that um, the Wilfred was making as to why he feels, obviously he's going to be biased, but why he feels that uh, Oro is a superior format. A lot of it makes made real sense to me in terms of the height speakers and having lower down side traditional side speakers. And then obviously if you need it, the voice of God speaker over top. But what they demonstrated with the 9.1 system in that um in that sort of traditional living room style setup, is that you don't need a voice of God speaker to still get quite a lot of um, sort of overhead effects by using those height speakers. Uh, I, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was really impressive. I tell you what really impressed me, because a lot of people say this, they always go, oh, you know, obviously you, you, can, you can take a, a multi-channel uh, feed, but they were, he was saying, no, you can give me stereo or you can give me even a mono feed, and I could use the Aura 3D technology to give you a, a greater sense of space and, 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 and um, immersion from it and you know you get the, you hear that a lot and usually it ends up being very you know very echoey and, and well, that, a, lot of, a lot of av amps have it and yeah, the, the famous famous one is logic 7 from uh lexicon you know that was always touted as the thing to make mono sound like stereo and all the rest of it but genuinely i was like you steve uh, had to pick my jaw up off the floor when we had the up mixing because it was just he, he played phenomenal. a mono track um marvin gaze heard it through the grapevine and when he turned on the processing, it was genuinely jaw-dropping. I thought, that sounds really good. It sounds open, more open, wider. I mean, from a mono feed, it was just it just was really, really impressive technology that actually did deliver what he said it would do, which, which 
like I said, surprised me immensely because so many times I've heard people say that and it very, very rarely is it ever delivered. Yeah. So just to go back to the Dolby Atmos versus uh, Aura thing, I think we need to explain that just a little bit more, Steve. So Atmos system, the surround speakers are slightly higher than they normally are in a normal theatre. Yeah, they're near the ceiling. And then they have the, the, the ceiling speakers. speakers. On, kind of up where the high speakers would be, so they're kind of near the ceiling. Um, that's the sides and rears. And then uh, and, the, and the sides go from right at the very front of the screen all the way to the back. And then there's a single layer of um, speakers behind the screen, to, as you would have traditionally have. And then there's two rows of speakers going over overhead. So that's that's basically Atmos. That's their setup. Uh, the Aura setup is different because it's a normal 5.1 system. So if you imagine a normal 5.1 system on the horizontal plane, you don't move the speakers at all from a normal setup. What you're doing with Aura is you're then adding height speakers and they're angled at 30 degrees to the normal 5.1 layout. And then if your room's big enough, you have one or maybe two uh, Voice of God speakers which are mono. Uh, so it gives a, a proper uh, spatial sound basically and what he said made a lot of sense uh between the two now obviously he is going to be biased because it's his system and he invented it but what it works basically is the the dolby system because the surrounds are so high if something pans from the screen to the left or the right instead of hearing it where you'd expect to hear it on the horizontal plane it suddenly feels like the car or whatever it is that's gone off screen is then flying because the surrounds are so high uh, we're so not. We we're not. To, uh... we're, we're not as used to hearing sounds from above either, because you know that's not how our brains work. And Dolby using just the the higher surrounds and then the the ceiling speakers. Um, what he's saying is you're getting the wrong reflections. And the way that Aura works is that you have the normal 5.1, 30 degrees for the um, the height speakers, and it all works on how reflections sound. And there's actually no need other than for flyover effects to have a ceiling speaker. And what you said made quite a bit of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it was interesting because in the theatre we were in, they had actually had, had LED lights around, they could turn on, that surrounded all the speakers in the room. So you could easily see where every speaker was positioned. So for example, behind the, fr the screen at the front, there were six speakers. There were the three traditional, you know, front, left and right and centre, and then the height ones above those. And he was saying that, you know, the majority of the sound comes from the front. So you've got more to play with there for a start behind the screen. But then you also have traditional uh, surrounds um, and rear speakers that you would have down, down at about ear level. And then this other layer, uh, second layer above at height level. And then if necessary, the one above it, you know, the voice of God to create this sort of hemisphere of sound. And absolutely, it made complete sense to me. And once you explained it, I thought, yeah, yeah, that's 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 actually quite logical. Um, and, and the other factor that, that comes into play when you're talking about Aura 3D is it's very easy to deliver. Unlike Dolby Atmos, which is a completely different way of creating soundtracks, starting from objects and working your way down to a 7.1 or 5.1 mix, you can take a traditional 5.1 or 7.1 mix, and you can add Oro into that by using the PCM tracks. Very easy to deliver for the cinemas, relatively inexpensive for them to implement in terms of adding addition. They have to add speakers, obviously, um, height speakers, but um, you know, you're not adding a whole two arrays of speakers overhead, which makes it much cheaper. I think it's about half the cost of implementing Oro compared to uh, at Dolby Atmos. And best of all, from our perspective, it can be delivered in the home relatively easily because you can put it onto a Blu-ray using the PCM tracks. You don't have to buy a new Blu-ray player. Obviously, you need to get a new processor and buy some more speakers. But you know, as, as they were showing in that room where we were, where we, we mentioned earlier, which was like a living room, you can take your 5.1 setup, add height speakers above the front and rear channels, which is relatively, you know, it's not too intrusive because you've already got speakers in those four corners anyway. So you're just adding them above them. 
uh, and you've got yourself a, a 9.1 system that works very effectively. So, I mean, for, as an AV enthusiast, that's definitely interesting. Ed, um, obviously, you know, audio is is your thing. And one of the things that he mentioned to me, uh, and he mentions it in the video, which is really interesting, is is the use of phantom uh, effects. So, obviously, in stereo, you can make sounds appear within the sound field that sound natural because it, it's in between the speakers. So you can actually make placements and so on. One of the things he mentioned was the vertical and doing that vertically. Do you think it would work? Now, you see, if you'd asked me this this time last week, I would have expressed a degree of scepticism. However, completely unrelated to your visit to Galaxy, I don't know if you saw the pic I stuck on my Facebook profile, but for... Uh, long and involved reasons. I currently have a pair of speakers in my lounge, which are almost exactly six feet tall. Um, which uh, it has been a bit of a logistic, uh, a bit of a logistic challenge. And I thought that effectively it would just make everything sound artificially enormous. But after a bit of time with them, I am rather more enthusiastic about the concept. If it is done properly. The addition of height, yes, I, I feel, and I didn't necessarily feel this a week ago, it, it can add a, a degree of, it, if you like, it sort of helps to avoid the sense that you're having the sound beamed at you from two specific locations. The challenge is making sure it doesn't feel like it's just being beamed at you from four, five, or however many locations, and it is actually seamless. But if it is, if they are achieving it successfully... Yeah, I'm I'm more enthusiastic about it than I thought I might. Well, you see, the thing is, uh, the way that he explained it is um, you need the speakers there. You need the speakers on the height because you don't have an ear at the top of your head. So how can you tell where sound is placed vertically, say in a film mix or something like that? You can't do it unless you turn your head on its side and then you, your ears can then get the distance because that's how we locate things in real life, you know. Uh, it's all about reflections. It's all about the time that it takes to to reach one ear over the other ear, and that's how you can then place sounds. And you can you know where things are coming from. So if a car's coming from behind you, a lot of that's based on the reflections or the sound in the environment that you're in, be it a street or whatever. Plus the sound from the car, and your ears work that out. But if it's in a vertical plane, it's impossible to do without having the speakers up there. So you then have the correct reflections. To be able to place the sound and it wasn't until he explained that that i fully got the whole concept of height it was something that you know you just thought well you're placing these speakers up here because there's going to be an effect that comes from that speaker on the right or that speaker on the left not the case you can then use the the phantom effects and he described it as triangles so triangles from the surround to the front speakers to the height speakers and you can place sounds a lot more accurately and one of the clips is a tractor you're in the English countryside, it sounds so natural with the birds singing at the right heights like they're in the trees. And then you have this tractor that comes past you on the left-hand side. And when it goes past you, it then goes into the screen and then it can keeps going mm-hmm. through the screen and keeps going and keeps going. And it's it's one of, the, one of these things that I didn't get the effect when we had the original demo, but in that room and in the small room, we had the same clip both times. And it was phenomenal, the amount of depth into the screen, you know, into that plane... And it just made it sound far, far more natural. And it actually sounded real. You know, it sounded like that tractor went past 
and then just kept going through the screen and kept going and kept going into the distance. It was amazing. Yeah, it was. It was the sensors, the spatial cues within the soundtracks were just really impressive. And the other thing he, point he made was because you're recreating the natural world you know, far more realistically in terms of having different layers of, of, of different height layers of, inf- of audio information. Our ears aren't working as hard as they would be under normal circumstances in a cinema, so it's a much more relaxing experience for the listener. Yeah, 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 and and it made complete sense. And once he'd explained that, and like I say, watch the video if you're interested in this in any way. It's fascinating the the way they describes how it works and how he explains it, and it just makes total sense. And I was always one of these that thought, oh bloody hell, heights because how am I going to get fit them in my room? And they're only there because it's going to go crash, bang, wall up in in those speakers or around those speakers, but because they're using reflections in the mix, because they're using natural cues that you would have in the real world. Another clip was uh, the organs playing in a church. So the image that you had was just a still image of you sitting in the pew in a cathedral with the organ in front of you. And of course, the organ pipes are up high. Uh, If you've ever been in a cathedral, you know how the, the organ works. It's an air pipe, it pushes air through, and that's how it makes its sound. And they're always high up, uh, close to the ceiling. And when he played that, that's that's what it sounded like. It sounded like you were sitting in a cathedral and you put it back to the 5-1 mix and you lost all that sense of scale. Mm. You lost the, the reverb, you lost the harmonics. It just it just didn't sound the same. So I've got to say, I'm now converted, <laughs> totally. Uh, I think this is the way forward. And yes, it's going to be difficult to put extra speakers into your listening rooms, but you know they don't have to be you know big speakers. You can put small speakers in and still get that thing because what you're what you're doing is reproducing the reflections um reproducing the the environment that you're in and uh, even in a small room that small room that we were in uh, when he played that it sounded like the walls of the room just disappeared you know you could close your eyes and you thought you were in the cathedral it was really 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 good yeah totally agree i mean obviously that's all well and good the big issue now is um getting this system into some more cinemas idea any cinemas in the uk would be a good start um, and delivering it in the home at a reasonable price. I mean, currently the prices on, on for sale are you know from ten thousand on up. Uh, and I guess over time, hopefully, sound designers, sound mixers will will get more used to having this extra layers of height uh, of, of audio channels, and um, and then using them creatively, uh, um, you know, to, to to create a more immersive experience for the viewer. Yeah, and it's deliverable. So like everything, it's starting at the high end. Um, I think, uh, you know, speaking to Wilfred, uh, he realises the importance of getting it out uh, to a wider audience, getting it, uh, getting the message out there about how it works. And, of course, with, with Dolby's version, if they ever want to do that in the home, then they're going to have to make, you know, um, wholesale changes to the HDMI spec, Blu-ray spec, because their system just wouldn't wouldn't work the way that the systems are set up at the minute, the way that delivery systems are set up at the minute. So... He's got an advantage there with his technology. It's going to be interesting to see how quickly it comes down to AVR price levels that people can afford and how many are going to take advantage. And the other thing is getting a demo. You know, that's at the minute, there's one facility in the UK that I know about where you can get a demo. Um, yeah. so, so what about you, Simon? You're a big film fan. You like your, your movies. Does this appeal to you? Well, listening to you talk, absolutely. Um, I wasn't convinced um, four or five weeks ago when we were talking about it because my my simple question was, was it worth it? You had divided opinions, and it, we sort of erred on the on the more cautious. No, probably wasn't worth the expense. But listening to you now, I'm and I haven't heard it. You know, I'm I'm 
I'm sounding very convinced. Um, I suppose it does come down to to the individual mix. Um, if it's not all crash bang wallop, and if there is some natural elements to it, um, it could be it could be incredible. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got. To say, I want to watch the video. <laughs> I've got to say, I've gone a full, you know, 180 degrees on this because it's. Yeah. And and it could just be, but but it shouldn't be where I was sitting in in the Genesis room because, um, according to Wilfred, it shouldn't matter where you sit. You know, you should get it. Should still be getting the full effect. So, I don't know. Maybe it was just you know it was the end of the day. They've been running demos all day. Maybe there was something not quite right. But I I, I walked out of the first demo not being that impressed. Um, after what we've seen at Galaxy uh, in the big auditorium and the small living room setup, um absolutely convinced it's it's viable technology what do you think ed well um the viability of all of these things you know as you from what you say obviously it sounds a bit more likely than, than some of the competition but i guess it has to overcome uh you know i suppose on a on a cinema level it has to overcome uh, you know, it, it has to coincide. I guess, like anything, there's an element of luck to it. It has to coincide with a number of cinemas deciding that they want to carry out an update to their their hardware. And yeah. then, on a domestic level, all bets are off. Uh, we, we we've all been doing this long enough to see, you know, stuff that we really don't think has any worth at all be widely adopted, and then other things which are actually a genuinely good idea fall by the wayside. So. I'd, I've, I've given up trying to guess now, Phil. I, I honestly don't know. It would be nice, from what you say. It seems to be well sorted and well implemented. But equally, uh, we could just be just left confused as it falls by the wayside and something that we don't like anything like as much manages to, yeah. to gain traction in the public consciousness. Yeah. I mean, doesn't it fall down in part? It, presumably... Um, you know, if, for example, you know, this, uh, the, the space program's worth of money that James Cameron is busy spending on the, on the, the next set of Avatar films, if you spent some of that money saying, okay, we're recording it in this, and as a, a, condition, a condition of release, we'll choose a couple of flagship venues which will update to include it. I don't know, maybe something like that might help, but that strikes me as like organised and, and just just too useful for that to actually happen. <laughs> uh, maybe we should just quickly explain the cinema situation. So uh, Aura 3D uh, in the cinema is sold through Barco. Um, I guess we're all aware of who Barco are. Uh, they produce the projectors that are used in cinemas. So what they do is they sell it as a full DCP, so a digital cinema package. Uh, so they sell it with a 4K projector. It's a Datasat branded Barco processor with Aura 3D in it. Uh, and the way that it works through the, the DCP is that um, the film is delivered digitally. Um, if the cinema has Aura 3D, then it extracts it from the soundtrack. Uh, but if it doesn't have the Aura setup, it'll play it back in 5.1 or 7.1. That's the beauty of the system. It's so backwards compatible. And that's how it works on Blu-ray as well. No need to change the spec. Stand on the PCM track. If you've got an Aura processor, it'll extract the extra channels. And it's quite clever because it'll know if it's a 9.1 or 11.1 or 13.1 system that you're using. So from that point of view, it, it seems like it should be quite easy to implement. And certainly in the cinema, through the Barco distribution, um, that seems to be like a, a really good way to do it as well. And, and rather than Oro going alone, I think they picked quite a good partner there as well. So hopefully it's going to get some traction for them because it is good technology. Good. And um, 
probably this is Mr. Bot, right? But it's also being used heavily in game development, Mark. Um, I noticed uh, one of the games that's recently been reviewed on the site called Knack, which is a PS4 game, includes uh, Oro um, sound technology in the soundtrack. And um, I, I believe they were doing some demos where um, it was headphone based. And, and but you know, it was the game. I think it may have been the game that you were talking about a couple of weeks ago when we were being chased around with a by monster that you said was really scary. Uh, Outlast. Yeah, Outlast. I think it was Outlast where if you put, used using Aura, you could get like you could feel like the monster was breathing right behind your head all the time. Yeah. Um, well, that's another thing to mention. This technology um, is also going to be available in cars. Um, it's going to be available in headphones and so on. That, that's what they are working on, as well as the cinema side and the film side. Um, they're also working on the headphones and the uh, computer games and all the rest of it because uh, it's not just film, and, and this will come across in the video if you watch a video. It's about audio as well. It's about music. It's about orchestration, orchestras. It's about uh, you know using multi-channel mixes and all the rest of it, and, and it really is... Um, you know, a, a a full solution from beginning to end in terms of recording and then playback and so on. Um, so, I, you know, I'm quite confident prices will drop. He wasn't giving anything away. I did ask the question and he, he kind of um, bypassed the question a little bit, didn't he, Steve? But, yeah. Um, you know, they have the jump start on Dolby if they want to take that leap and, and come into the mass market. You know, it's all there. It's ready to go. Just needs to get the message across and... and get consumers in front of it i think just to hear it well it'll be interesting with cars and headphones are two two specific locations where i've never ever ever found the application of surround to be remotely convincing so uh, best of luck with that yeah but again ed it's uh, you know we have our ideas of what surround mix is and 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 what we've had in the past from dts you know they did a lot of music stuff in the beginning yeah. and uh uh, you know, uh, Dolby have their version of ProLogic 2 for, for music and all the rest of it. And, and all, all it seems to do is add a little bit of reverb and, and a little bit of spatialness, but it sounds fake. Th- this demo that we heard with this mono track upmixed, seriously, I, I haven't heard anything like it. It, it really was impressive. And, and how it's working, the, the algorithm, it, it's inspecting the original recording and then working out what the reflections were at the time of the recording. And then trying to recreate that using the extra speakers. And it works. It's like you would have thought it was recorded in stereo when you went from mono to, to the app mixer. It, it really was phenomenal. Fair enough. Did you uh, eat those two uh, green crackers then, Ed? Uh, I haven't done that yet. Uh, I'm afraid I've had to deal with, uh, you know, my my son getting whatever Kirsty had last weekend. So he's been somewhat explosive. Yeah, it sounds I, like I, a bloody I've been excuse. trying to do some work for you guys as well. You know, it's really <laughs> uh, he's backing out, isn't he? He's backing out. No, no, no. I so, will. I will embark on this. So for Two those green that, crackers in one minute. So for <laughs> those, that, so for those, for those that didn't listen last week, Ed has a challenge to eat two crackers in two under Jacob's a minute. Two Jacob's green crackers in under a minute. And he has to video it as well for proof that he can do it. All right, well, I'm going, shopping tomorrow. I'm going with... shopping tomorrow, so I will buy myself some practice packs and we'll get, we'll get stuck into this. So. <laughs> practice packs. <laughs> right, okay, we're not going, uh, we're not going into biscuit territory. We, we covered that last week. Uh, quickly, BBC Three getting the axe. I was quite surprised with this. Um, you know, with, uh, with the BBC and their pledge to provide uh, youth programming and so on, 
quite surprised that, that BBC Three is getting uh, getting axed. I don't know. It's very it it's a fairly soft target, isn't it? Hello, we're the BBC. We're a state funded broadcaster, and we are supposed to produce material of you know which goes beyond that of commercial interest. By the way, here's a couple of episodes of Sun, Sand, and Suspicious Parents. It <laughs> it, it it was inevitable, and and. You know, people have gone, oh, and such and such was released on BBC Three. And, you know, it, it's closing down avenues to co- co- um, to new co- uh, comedy. Frankly, bollocks. Um, the, the, the overwhelming majority of content on BBC Three was unwatchable tat. I've got and agree. just because every now and again it produced something that wasn't unwatchable tat is not a justification for it to continue to exist. If the BBC is genuinely to do there to do things that commercially funded broadcasters can't do then even though it has lower viewing figures bbc4 is there for that purpose and it is it is working on that mandate bbc3 was lowest common denominator itv rivaling chud i've got to agree with you to an extent i think there was some genuine big names did make it on that channel before it was branded bbc3 as well I'm trying to remember the name of the channel before it was rebranded as BBC. It was BBC Free. Play, wasn't there, or something like that? Uh, I can't remember. It didn't have the BBC marker, but it was BBC funded, and I can't remember. Be- people like, um, well, Mitchell and Webb, were the, well, they yep. got their first TV show there, um, and there, yeah. Don't get me wrong, Matt there Lucas. were there were things, but I don't think in this day and age, especially with other, you know, other parts of the BBC platform doing what they do and being what they are that we're going to see that I don't honestly think that any act that would get their chance is going to miss out on it simply because they're canning BBC Three. Well I mean seemingly what they're going to do is they're going to uh, move it over to the BBC iPlayer uh, and it'll exist on BBC iPlayer um, and they reckon that new talent will still get uh, a chance to uh, to make their pilots and so on, and it'll be shown on one iPlayer. So um, they are axing it as a as a live channel, just as it goes HD as well. But it's going to be on iPlayer, and rightly what you said there, BBC Four is a superb channel. Um, it really does fit its remit, and and it produces stuff that just wouldn't fit on BBC One or BBC Two. But uh, really, really, some, some really compelling documentaries on there, and and yeah, it's really good. But you don't think that the, that the content that's on BBC Four could be split across one and two? Pro- I mean, BBC probably, two but I don't think there's enough. Always used to get fantastic documentaries, and then at a given point, it kind of got shunted. And now BBC Two's become this kind of strange wasteland where it's like Newsnight and a couple of other shows, and that's it. You know, anything young has been kicked over to BBC Three. Anything in any way worthy, documentary-wise, or you know. Um, foreign drama is pushed over to BBC Four. It seems as though they they overstretch themselves just by having four channels in the first place. But I, I you know, I Maybe. I kind of feel a bit for for the BBC Three audience because it does raise the question about what the purpose of you know public you know state funded broadcast well, is. It's, it's run by crusty old men, and you know. But what's the purpose? Is the purpose simply, as Ed said, stuff that otherwise isn't in the commercial field, or is it everyone pays? Their, well, no, their no, no. I think the argument is more that there is no shortage of youth tat. Yes, but there's already. no shortage. Yeah, yeah, but here's my point, which is every time that argument gets raised, I would point to the fact that there's no shortage of soap operas, and yet EastEnders is, is wildly popular, but I would happily boot it off a cliff. Oh, God, you know, we, there, there's a huge personal... amount of... 
there's a huge amount of programs yeah. that are massively overlapping with all other channels. And, and the point is that because you look at kind of low quality, what we see as low quality programs on BBC Three, you know, with the youth market, you know, the argument is, well, if you don't like it, ask yourself, are you over 25? That, that's the reason why you don't like it. It's not because it, it's, it's total crud. It's, it's and, because and not it's, all of it was crud either. Yeah, I mean, okay, but I could, oh, hang on. To, to take that to its logical conclusion, though, people under the age of 25 are more likely than any other demographic group not to be watching their material on a television. So the fact that it's just switching over to online online methods of access is, in, in uh, by that token, is entirely logical. But they're, they're switching it over and taking a healthy chunk out of you know what it would otherwise be producing, aren't they? I mean, a huge amount is going back towards BBC One and dramas. You can guarantee that will go towards, you know, a stately million. home for six weeks to make, a, you know, a new costume drama or something. Yeah, well, 60 million, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, I, I can see the idea, which is, you know, um, I, I think when they had a, a, a list of what were the most popular programs for when the, the iPlayer app came out, it was ma mainly BBC Three shows, which tended to say that, you know, young people are watching on tablets and the like and things like that. Um, and also there's the possibility that in the future iPlayer might be behind some kind of a paywall or something like that as we're moving towards stream they services. Can, they, oh, they can, they can go to hell with that one. If they want to be a commercial organisation, then fine. That's fine. If they want to be a commercial organisation, no problem with that. Um, no, but, no, no, no. When I say paywall, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in regards the license fee as well, tying it into I. There, there are an increasing amount of people saying I don't bother with the license fee. I stream everything, and so therefore I'm not bothered. And they're they're getting basically iPlayer for free. It's cutting that off, you know, at the pass. Which I can't disagree with, to be honest. I mean, yeah, I mean, just I, because I, your way of uh, of consuming that of BBC's content has changed, it shouldn't mean that their way of funding it should change, is it? Bluestone 4.2 was on, I think there's another series of that imminently, and that actually that were, had it, had its moments that were quite amusing. Other than that, uh, other than, I mean, obviously I like to laugh at the freaks on um, Snog, Marry, Avoid, but that's a very you know, specific exercise, and I'm sure that I can find freaks elsewhere on our on our many television channels. I, I, there's just, yeah... Oh, we're well on message and uh, well over time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to feel a bit lightheaded here. We're, we're too too much on message this week. So uh, coming back in a second uh, with the cut down version of the games news. Here's some games. Thank you. Here's <laughs> some games. They're amazing. Listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's on. Uh... Yeah, yeah, you got podcasts. Yeah, you got podcasts coming out, so you don't need a lot of time, Mark. So, uh, go on then, shoot through it. All right, fair enough. Um, Xbox One March update has hit, so this is the big one, kind of pre-Titanfall. Uh, they want to smooth out a few things, so um, party chat uh, is being tweaked uh, on by default, and uh, cross-game party chat. Um, also, a few little kind of polishings to, to the way invites work and joining games and uh, how you see your friends list and uh, all that kind of thing. So it's kind of reinforcing the the perception of the the Xbox One as the the best multiplayer you know network system. Uh, one of the main things they've added though, uh, Twitch TV broadcasting, uh, which is actually better quality than the PS4. It's coming at about 720p. Um, 
PS4. I think that's somewhere about 540p, something like that. Um, and has always been a little bit stuttery for me. It very much depends which channels you're, you're looking in at. Um, yeah, and the last thing, I suppose, is uh, 50 hertz mode, finally, for the UK market. So um, you can watch that uh, full or fill modes. Um, and the the dash stays in 50 hertz. I had a quick play with it until you switch to something else. So there's obviously that kind of quick split second um, as your TV readjusts to the different refresh rate. But other than that, it's all working fine. Other than that, listen to the games podcast. Uh, what, what are you covering in this month's podcast then, Mark? Games. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Have you looked at the, the running order? Clue... <laughs> yeah. I suppose the clue was in the, uh, in the title. <laughs> Have you recorded it yet? No, no, no. We're, no, we're doing so that actually don't, tomorrow. Don't, you don't know. What's no, we don't. You're going to go out live, are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to go four and a half hours live broadcast. <laughs> That's up on Friday, right? No, is it Friday or Thursday? Thursday. No, Friday. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm looking at my calendar now. <laughs> When's the 14th? What day is it today? It's what date or date? Yeah, four days' name? time. <laughs> what's going on? Where are we? It's Phil gone to the loo. Yeah, you thought you were going to talk for longer than that, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> you were a bit too brief. Well, how brief? Uh, no, that was, yeah, that was only the one bit there. In our explosion, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to stay in, by the way. <laughs> yeah, like jump cut it, so it just, just, just cut it so it's actually in the middle of something, another yeah, you know, totally out of context. Talking about 3D sound. Fucking <laughs> arse explosion. <laughs> hey, that'd sound good with the old hot channels. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's going the wrong way for using hate channels. That, that could be a BBC three, BBC three show, I reckon. Fucking <laughs> arse explosion. I think that's more, that, that's more the learning channel these days. <laughs> Let's face it, they let honey fucking boo boo through the. Uh, Who? Through the. Have you not? Uh, you, oh, here oh. comes honey boo boo. No. Well, you, uh, just yeah, just just count yourself a happy, contented human being that you have no idea what that is. Well, why do you know what it is, Ed? How much fucking TV do you watch? It's on most of the time, to be fair. Television. <laughs> oh, well, hang on, it's on most of the time, but none of us have ever heard of it apart from you. Is, is this is this why I get my reviews at the end of the month at the last minute because you're busy no, the rest of the month? No, that isn't yeah. why it happens at all. It's just. Uh, essentially, uh, I, I found the program because uh, the, the T- TLC, the learning channel, uh, so no- named because there is no learning possible from it. It's named for irony purposes. It has a program called Cake Boss, of which my wife is very fond. Uh, and Here Comes Honey Boo Boo normally happens directly afterwards. And it's just, it's car crash, it's classic car crash television. Um, well, and is- uh, well, it's a family of rednecks, uh, grossly overweight rednecks. Oh, enough said. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not a patch on extreme couponing, which is you know, <laughs> quite something. As a but, um, you know, you know, you know, in, in Scotland, complained about BBC three's output, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, um, you know, this, this, the Scottish uh, saying that to somebody Scottish that that has completely different meaning that extreme couponing, because that that to me sounds like somebody punching people in the face. <laughs> Well, um, in answer to Mr. Botwright, all I would say is that no, no one is compelled to pay for the learning channel. It, it strictly comes as I, I have elected to pay a sum of money for Sky and it, it, I get it. 
it, you're it paying in more ways than one i'm sorry well <laughs> I, I can yes on occasions i can feel iq points flaking off my head like dandruff but that's a decision that i have to live with so don't worry about that that's fine um and as i say it, it, it's just worth watching if nothing else i think programs like that exist to make you feel better about yourself it's like yeah i'm uh, you know, I'm carrying a bit of weight and, you know, I'm going grey. I have a white beard hair, which I thought was quite terrifying the other day. But at the very least, I'm not actually a land whale with, you know, the sort of accent that just makes me hear banjos. So, you know, it, it serves a useful purpose. Makes you feel superior, basically. To yes, yes, it does. But Smog Mary Avoid <laughs> had the same effect on um, the same effect for, for BBC Three viewers. It's like, yes, you may have some problems, but at least you're not a bright orange retard. Basically, television has become the modern equivalent of the Victorian freak show, hasn't it? Really? Yes, yes, it has. I mean, body horror. What's that show? Body horror? Is it? What's the one where they um, show really offensive? School, the, the, the embarrassing illnesses. Yeah, embarrassing bodies. That's it. Embarrassing bodies. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. The, I mean, the two I, embarrassed to go to the doctor yet? They'll. they'll... They'll get their tits out on TV. Well, you know? no, 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 no. Like, out on no, national no. television. It's a classic. It's a classic example of what will you do to get something sorted? Because yeah, you can go to your doctor in private. You can be placed on a waiting list, and it might or might not get get sorted. Especially if it's a cosmetic issue. That's how socialized medicine works. Or if you get your undercarriage out on Channel Four. You know, A, people will point and laugh, but it will be sorted at somebody else's expense rather quicker. It's a balancing act, isn't it? You know, so you know, <laughs> if, you had, if you had three testicles and you wanted to get that sorted, you have the option of waiting and hoping that the state might provide or entertaining a couple of million sickos and getting it sorted quickly. I, I think that's a perfectly logical and fair exchange. I might have to think about that to get my penis reduction. Well, you know that's a, that's a, something. And at the very least, you won't have I to have. You saw to that joke coming from about six miles. <laughs> um, Ed, if you play this really clever, you can use a quote from Goldmember at the end of this podcast about having three balls. Having I did see that one, but I have yep. my quote out for oh, the end right, of this. Okay. I thought you, I thought you were going to segue there. I thought you, t- you were being really smart. I think I'll just put that one in. Well, in actually, it's because of the three balls quote that I mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I knew there so had to be a connection. It's, it's just it, it's one big circle of joy. <laughs> that was the game's news. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow we got a little bit off, off message there. I, I knew it was going to happen. We, we were so on, we were so on message for thirty odd minutes. You just knew it was going to go off on a tangent. You just... All I would say is that I'm not actually drinking any alcohol this evening, so that probably helped us stay on topic for as long as we had. But you know, I, I've, I've done my bit of being on message, and now I'm off. <laughs> From now on, it's all cobblers. Right? <laughs> I just, yes. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we're going to move on. Movie news <laughs> is next. So, movie news, and uh, let's go, Steve. What's it, cinema, Steve? Oh, this week, Phil, it was 300. Right, Rise okay, I'm, I'm going to stop you there. Uh, because of, we're doing gold member, you've got to do this complete review in a Dutch accent. Uh, no, please, no, because I'm just going to imagine Steve McLaren being an absolute twat. <laughs> just for my for my safety and mental well-being. Yeah, have you not seen that interview for Dutch television after he became... And he just he put a Dutch accent on? Yeah, he just gradually morphs into talking. Yeah, like um, like the the man in uh, That's a, like, Joey Barton did that when he moved to, when he moved to play for Marseille for well, a bit. He obviously, there was talking some, with a French accent. Yeah, there's obviously something in the water, but uh, I well, I mean, just watch it. But I'm just just asking nicely, please, please don't. Okay, okay. okay. You, can, you can drop a couple of long eshes in there as well. If you know, if you feel like it. But don't don't go don't go overboard. But, 
All right, Steve. 300 Rise of the Empire. Tell us all about it quickly. Yeah, uh, which is, oh, I was about to say, actually, I was about to say it's the sequel to 300, obviously. But it's not. It's not actually a, a sequel per se. It's actually more of a slight prequel, slight companion piece, slight uh, sequel. So it's a bit of everything. There's bits before 300, bits that take place concurrently with 300, and bits that take place after 300. Basically, it's like, it, imagine that 300 had been a three-hour epic about the Persian assault on, on Greece. And then someone looked at it and thought, you know what, we should really just stick with the bit about the 300 Spartans. That's a really good bit. And we'll cut out all the extraneous stuff and have a nice cheeky 90-minute movie. It's tight and, and interesting. And then someone took the cut outtakes and the deleted scenes, stuck them together and turned it into a film. That's what this feels like when you're watching it, basically. It's like watching a bunch of deleted scenes strung together as a movie. Um, it's fairly, the, the plot's patchy. There's a plot? <laughs> yeah, not, well, I mean, it starts off at the Battle of Marathon. Uh, where um, Themistocles, who's the main sort of hero of this film, uh, kills Darius I um, at the battle, even though, and his son Xerxes is also present at the battle, even though none of them were actually at the battle, apparently, in histor historical terms. But he kills him, and Xerxes goes away, uh, he becomes a king, he then goes off into the desert and, and dips himself in some gold liquid and turns into a ten-foot-tall ladyboy, and then comes back as Xerxes, the god king. Um, in the meantime, he's got uh, Artemisia, played by Eva Green, who is basically the... Um, commander of his navies. Now, she is, again, is a historical character. She was actually Greek, but she did fight for the Persians. She did command some ships, but she didn't command the entire navy. But in the film, she commands the entire navy. And they lead an assault on Greece. And obviously, there's there's the battle at, at um, Thermopylae, which is where the Spartans are fighting. And then there's a huge um, naval battle as well, which happens at the same time at Artemisium. Um, which in the film at least the Greeks lose, and then they go away and they regroup and they come back. There's another big, another big um, sea-based battle at the end, the Battle of Salamis, I think it's called. Uh, it's really boring, which I've got to say, <laughs> frankly, for a film called 300, you're thinking, well, if nothing else, it'll be fun. Because the 300 was not a masterpiece, but it was entertaining. I liked the cast. It had Michael Fassbender in it, Gerard Butler basically channeling um, Brian Blessed by being the shoutiest king in the history of cinema. Um, you know, you, you had uh, David Wenham in there. You had Lena Headey. Uh, and it was uh, it was a fun movie. You know, it was camp as hell, homoerotic beyond belief. They're all basically in their little um, thongs and greased up in their six-pack abs. Um, but at least you had a good time at the film. It, 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 at the time, at least seven years ago, I guess, um, all that ramping that um, ramping is when you speed or, or slow down the movie in the same, in the same shot. Um, that was, was heavily used by Zack Snyder at the time. It's been copied a lot since. The whole st visual style of the film, basically, with the green screen, you know, using green screens and then putting in the CG backgrounds later uh, um, and the CG blood and this kind of stuff, has been heavily copied ever since. I mean, Spartacus in particular, the TV series uses it a lot, although Spartacus is A, even gorier, B, has more sex in it and is actually a lot more entertaining. Uh, so, you know, watching this film, you're thinking, well, at least it'll be, it'll be a laugh. You know, nothing else. I was bored to tears. It's got like an hour, the first hour of the film is just all backstory and build up. And then there's a couple of sea battles with basically just a bunch of ships on fake CG water that look really fake. And, and you can't tell one ship from the other. And everyone keeps to take the helmets off at various points so you can tell who the hell's who. The lead actors, apart from people that all return from, from, um, from the original film, so like Lena Headey turns up again as Queen Gorgo, and you've got the actor um, Rodrigo Santoro who plays Xerxes. They have all sort of come back, um, with the exception of Eva Green who plays um, Artemisia, who's the main villain. Um, all the other actors are really, really, I mean, the guy playing Themistocles is called Sullivan Stapleton. I've never heard of him, and believe me, I don't think we'll ever hear of him again. Uh, they're just not a particularly interesting cast, not very memorable. It's not fun, it's not entertaining, it's derivative, it's cliched now because of because of everyone copying the 300 staff in the previous film. 
Um, there's way too much CG, really fake looking CG blood. I mean, ridiculous looking CG blood in it. And because it was converted into 3D, I watched it in 2D, but it must be bloody annoying watching it in 3D because there is constantly stuff floating in the air, CG stuff, dust, pollen, embers, whatever it is, constantly floating in there, always splashing blood or water at the, you know, the fake lens on the front of the camera, on the virtual camera constantly. Always a drawing, draw attention to practice in 3D. Um, so it was annoying enough in 2D, it must be absolutely frustrating beyond all belief in, in 3D. Um, it was a stinker of a film. Good. Basically. And your score? I gave it five, which I think I was being generous. Okay. Uh, you went to see another film and you said it was much better. What was that? I went to go and see The Grand Budapest Hotel, which is Wes Anderson's new movie. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, I'm a big fan of his movies. If you're a fan of his films, and they are all quite similar in many respects, and they're very kind of artificial in the way that they're shot. But beautifully shot. Um, they have an amazing cast. I mean, the cast is, I mean, he's been using a lot of the same actors over and over again, but the cast is, and this is incredible. But the main character in it is played by um, Ray Fiennes, who is absolutely hysterical in it as, as this concierge at the, at the Grand, Hotel, Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, it's got most Some of the scenes are um, in 1.85 to 1, some of it's in 4 to 3, and some of it's in scope ratio, which is kind of interesting if a little bit distracting. But like I said, his films are always quite artificial anyway. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's a very funny. And if you're a Wes Anderson fan, you'll definitely enjoy it. So, so if you're going to the cinema this week, that's one that you'd recommend. Yes, absolutely. Okay, uh, so we're well over time. I'm going to have to use the, the cut and knife quite a bit this week. But uh, we we're going to cover this subject last week and we run out of time. But let's, uh, seeing as we're so on message this week, um, <laughs> what film, if any, are we obsessed with? And uh, uh, we don't just like the film. But we're actually obsessed with it. It could be a number of films, and uh, it could even be a film that you actually don't like that much, but for some reason you keep buying every version that's available. Um, so I guess I'm going to kick this one off. And uh, I know, I think I can guess what your answer is going to be, Phil. Go on then. <laughs> I was going to say, I can, I'm going to guess on three people here Phil, Jaws, obviously, Botwright's going to be the uh, Shogun Assassin, and I know Ed is Apocalypse Now, right? Right. Well, you're close. Um, I, I'm, there's three, three, um, two of them are trilogies, and uh, actually, it's four. <laughs> I, I, actually, th- thinking about it, there are four. You, you're right on Jaws. Jaws is just absolute classic, um, and I can still watch that now. And uh, you know, if it's on the TV or whatever, um, I'll sit and watch it all the way through. Uh, the other one, Star Wars trilogy, the original trilogy. And out with that, Empire Strikes Back. If if I'm going to watch one of them, that's the one I'll watch. Another one's Back to the Future trilogy. That would be my other guess. <laughs> yeah. So those those are the ones. If, if we're talking about buying it on every single format that I've ever owned, those are the films that that I've gone mad for. What's the fourth one? Then you said there were four. I forgot. I'm going to come back in a sec. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Mr. Bot. Right, go on. We've already stolen my thunder and given it away. I was right, was I? Shogun Assassin. You've bought that in every format, have you, Mark? Yes. Yes, I have. Uh, Multiple versions? uh, Yes. Yes, and including, obviously, the original films they were based Ah, on. Close Encounters. That was the fourth one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go on. That was the end. <laughs> so, you, so you don't like you know, any other film, or you're not obsessed no, with any other film or genre yeah, or whatever. Yeah, all right, fine. Um, Akira, owned on multiple different formats. Obviously, um, big, uh, the Region One DVD was fantastic for that. Um, 
a bet a better tomorrow two as well is one that I'm mildly obsessed with. Um, Not tomorrow, just a better tomorrow too. No, two, two, because it's got the terrible twins angle to it. <laughs> yeah, which, which which is poor. Um, but they're going to writing in history. I think. Uh, yeah, it, it is. Twin brother. Yeah, yeah that do. Yeah, it is John. It is John Woo. So yeah, it doesn't have to make too much sense. But also simply because someday the original edit of that will have to come to light. It's you know it's I mean it, it was a big film and and. To think that it's still kind of sitting in a, in a butchered format, that it makes absolutely no sense plot-wise, that it jumps from scene to scene because someone wanted to cut it down to size and no one knows where you know the original scenes are, that's kind of a bit of a tragedy. Okay, Simon? Um, difficult. Um, I suppose my the film that I've bought in the most formats, well, they're, well, they're like you, Phil, there are a number. Um, I suppose it would be Nosferatu. I've bought that on every format that there is, so that it's been available the original on. Original version or the remake by? Um, no, no, uh, the original, the the the, the twenty one Manaus version, uh, from you know American imports to all DVD releases through and up to and including the latest Blu-ray. Um, but then I've done that with um, with uh, the Terminator as well. You know, I've bought that from various. It was the very first VHS cassette I ever bought was Terminator. Um, so I've got a bit of a, a soft spot for that. Done it again with Alien, the various incarnations of Alien, up to and including the uh, face hugger box set. Yeah, you remember that you, one? You mentioned all well, these. That brief, the briefcase thing. The briefcase, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember buying that. It cost me like, like 80 quid. Yeah, it was a it, massive it was amount of money. Three, three VHS tapes <laughs> and an extra yep. VHS tape with a 15-minute EP, EPK about the making of Alien 3. It was a piece of shit looking back now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Compared yeah, to the quadrilogy Blu-ray box set I've now got, which yeah. is like pisses over anything else you can imagine. And boy, we don't know how good we got it these days. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, everything you've mentioned so far, Simon, I've bought multiple times as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Ed? Well, it is Apocalypse now. Curse you with us. Um, it's a different thing for me. Because Apocalypse now is so long, even in the normal version, let alone Redux, I don't think I watch it more than once a year. But I have bought far too many versions to list and it is it, it's a different relationship i mean it in some ways it it, it you know it's it's a, a rambling sort of mess but it's uh, it just stands it stands alone as a, as a film that i yeah i, I have a, a slight fixation with it's interesting that simon you mentioned the terminator because that is that's my wife's weakness to the extent where i dare say we have one weird accessory that uh, terminator based uh, uh, sort of um release that you probably don't have which is the uh, original score on vinyl which I ended up picking up from Vietnam of all countries. Um, <laughs> it's one of the most one of the most expensive records I've ever bought, and it was my wife's birthday present. So um, yeah, that, that comes under because it took eight. I think the, the soundtrack has now been released on CD. It's yeah. it's shite, but um, you know it is now available on CD. But for years and years and years, it was only available on on, on vinyl. So that was the uh, the format on which I, I purchased it to, to to complete my wife's collection of random. Terminator stuff. Weathers quickly. Okay, uh, in terms of Debbie does Dallas. Nine inches from again. No disappointing sequel. Uh, in terms of multiple uh, formats, Terminator Two wins hands down. I think I've had that on VHS tape 
Uh, I've had it on VCD, DVD, HD DVD, DVHS, Laserdisc, and Blu-ray. So that's seven different formats. There you go. Um, in terms of films, I'm obsessed with the, um, Blade Runner. I've been obsessed with Blade Runner since I saw it. Oh, that's uh, another one. I forgot that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but I was obsessed with it. I was obsessed with it because it, like, for so many years, I wanted to get my hands on things like the print. And then the, the, when I first saw the international... I saw Blade Runner at the cinema, uh, at the, and I didn't realise it because I was watching it with my mate, and obviously we were familiar with Blade Runner, which was the theatrical cut in the UK and the US. This was the international cut, which was slightly more violent. And when they first, a different scene came on, it was like having a religious experience, seeing something slightly different suddenly in the cinema, which is, I just couldn't believe it. But that's a film I've been obsessed with for a long time. I'm obsessed with the film Dune, David Lynch's film Dune for some reason. I don't even particularly like the film, but for some reason I can't stop buying it. I've had multiple formats and multiple versions of the film. Yeah, those would be, those would be my three choices. I don't know how I forgot Blade Runner because I'm sitting looking at the poster above my um, fireplace. I've got it framed. Yeah, above well, my I fireplace. mean, the good news about Blade Runner is that you can be obsessed with the film for 20 years, and then finally, good things do happen to people sometimes because they release the five-disc Blu-ray yeah. with every single different cut of the movie on there. Yeah. Uh, deleted scenes, a brilliant documentary. I mean, it was like I, spe- I actually took, I actually spent, I think, four days solidly just going through that entire Blu-ray set, watching every different cut, listening to all the commentary tracks watching all the extras, uh, it was absolutely, for me, in Nirvana uh, at the time. I, if I died after that, I'd have been a happy man. Too, too much time on your hands. Right, let's flick it around a little <laughs> bit just to um, just to finish it all off. Okay, films that you, you feel compelled that you have to uh, own, that you've bought on various versions, but actually you watch very rarely. And I've got two in my collection that are on different formats uh, that I've felt compelled to own. Uh, one is the Godfather trilogy. Uh, I've owned that on about four different formats. Great films, but no stuff that I'm obsessed with. And I, I felt compelled to buy them on Blu-ray and DVD, and actually sat down and watched them once and never gone back to. Uh, the other one is Dances with Wolves, um, and I actually have, <laughs> I actually have the Japanese Indian version that comes in the leather pouch that's tied round with a feather and stuff and cost a fortune um, and and I very very rarely watch that film and in fact it's probably a, a good few years since I've last, last sat down and watched it. I do have one which is weird Mainly, I, I'm loath to admit this because everyone goes how can you possibly say that but for me one of the most overrated films of all time which is the Shawshank Redemption which I've bought three times for other people. I bought my dad a VHS copy um, I then bought my I think I bought my then girlfriend a copy on DVD and I've bought Kirsty a copy on Blu-ray so I bought it three times and I, for me still I just it's not a bad film I just it, there's one where there's, it, for me there's a massive disconnect between the level of praise it receives and the amount of enjoyment I get watching it massively so Simon? Oh, that's really difficult um, I don't agree with your um, Godfather that's that's brilliant i've got that and i've owned that yeah yeah I said, I, said it was, I said it was brilliant but it's it's not a film that i keep going back to that i'm obsessed yeah. with but i just feel that's compelled it, about 10 hours long that's yeah cool. it's right. just i feel compelled that i have to own them on on the format yeah um dance of the walls i've got i own and it's still in the plastic two versions i've owned and it kept it in the plastic oh christ i can't think of any now i'm i'm normally pretty good but you know i, I just buy these things and they just mount up <laughs> on the side of the telly, and I never get to watch them. Okay, well you think we'll uh, we'll, we'll go for running short in time. We'll go to uh, yeah. Markport, right? Call me odd, but I don't tend to buy things that I'm not likely to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. 
the 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 only things that I can think that I've bought that I haven't bothered watching would be something like um, there's Japanese um, kind of zombie film called Versus, which I do love, but <laughs> I bought fun. the D- yeah I bought the DVD and honestly the Blu-ray it didn't need it, um, and beyond that I've got a DVD box set of Beavers and Butthead that's still in its cellophane. Uh, it's Wyatt Earp. I owned it on Laserdisc, never got around to watching it. Owned it on DVD, never watched that. Bought it on HD DVD, finally got around to watching it. F*** it didn't work. Had to buy it on bloody Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, I was halfway through the film when the bloody disc broke down. So then I thought, well, I've got to finish the sodding thing now. So I had to buy it on Blu-ray in order to finish watching it. Okay, and uh, to wrap up, films that we love um, that have been released on various formats but are never going to look good just because of the way um, they were produced originally, i.e. they were shot in bad film stock or uh, they'll never be cleaned up and so on. I've got two on my list there um, that I'm really disappointed because they'll never look any better than they are and that's uh, The Usual Suspects and Trainspotting. Just because of the way that they were filmed, you're never going to get um, absolute grade A restorations of those. Guys? Yeah, that's uh, 28 Days Later or Dark Star, you know. Yeah, well, that was shot on video, so what do you expect? Yeah, yeah. A bit of video. Uh, aliens had a problem with it where they used a new film stock that was crap and it turned out. Yeah, it's always been a bit very grainy. Yeah, Ed. Um, well, Das Boot is the for me, in so much as the limits of it being originally shot basically for television, so on and so forth. Well, you should you should have tried some new cables because they improve, uh, you know, <laughs> video processing and colours and black levels and so on. Oh, as long as I get inky blacks, that's fine. Yeah, well, you'll get inky blacks if you spend two thousand pounds on these interconnects. So they'll they'll work. Uh, but right. Uh, well, I've kind of already covered it there because well, Versus is one of the ones that you know I I wish so, to so see. You're not going to you're not going to see a show then. Um, Shogun Assassin. Uh, what is it? Shogun Assassin. Shogun Assassin. Shogun Assassin. I keep getting this Mitsubishi picture in my ear. Yeah, it's a man a man who kills Mitsubishi. <laughs> <laughs> well, that 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 was that looks really bad, does it not? In every version that's ever been released. Uh, well, actually, the Blu-ray isn't bad. The Blu-ray is, you know, what well, in comparison to what it has looked like. Look, okay, I started off with a a knockoff VHS copy and went to the Vipco DVD. So right now, anything looks great. <laughs> right, okay, we've run out of time. Sadly, we're going to have to wrap this one up because uh, we've all got to crack on with different bit, bits and pieces, and we're way over time. Uh, but thanks again for listening. Uh, it is appreciated, and uh, it looks like uh, plenty of you are getting involved. So put your comments under this podcast in the podcast forum. Uh, if you've got anything for Mark's recipes, you want any ideas or so on, uh, then send that to podcast at avforums.com. And it's the same address for your uh, our kit stories so kit that's got got you into trouble kit you sold and, and wish you'd never sold uh, those types of stories send them in to us we'll read out the best ones all i've got to do now is thank steve weathers dr evil you look very tight yes tight like a tiger yes oh yes yes <laughs> is this an audition <laughs> really <or something? laughs> uh, mark about right i thought i smelled cabbage <laughs> I'm going to have to go and watch this film. Uh, Simon Crust. You may be a cunning linguist, but I am a master debater. And Ed Sally. I haven't laughed that hard since I was a little girl. Thank you. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and bookmark avforums.com for the latest reviews, news and video. Plus, why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. We stayed on subject this week and we'll be back again next Wednesday. (laughs) 